Ladies and gentlemen, I got with me today, Mr. Robert Ecker. Robert Ecker, you're someone that is completely different than anyone I have brought on my podcast. You are, oh, wow. <laughs> you are, sir, a professional bird dog handler. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Well, tell me a little bit about yourself, Mr. Ecker. I know you're from Quake Ake, Pennsylvania. Uh, now, Quake Ake, that has a special meaning behind it. Tell us what Quake Ake is. When my son, uh, he's 23 now, uh, second year of law school, pretty proud of him. But when he was um, in elementary school, uh, he did some research for a school project. Uh, we live in a little village, a uh, couple hundred people in a nice little quaint valley. And the, the town's name is Quakeake. And uh, he researched it, and it's an Algonquin Indian word. It means land of the big pines. Uh, there's a lot of Indian names right around us. There's Tamaqua, Pennsylvania. That means land of the running water um, and several others. So pretty, pretty interesting. Did you grow up there, or, is it, or did you move there? How would you end yeah. up in Quakeake? Yeah, um, I grew up in uh, the bustling town or city, actually, of Hazleton, Pennsylvania, um, which is um, it's has a couple claims to fame. One is uh, it's the highest city in the state of Pennsylvania up on, on a mountain, and it's uh, it's a big coal mining uh, region. Um, at, at one time, you know, the city had probably a population of uh, 60,000. It's probably a little less now. So pretty big city. And I grew up uh, right in, in the city. Uh, where I live now is about 12, 15 miles south of there. Oh, yeah. not far from home then, huh? No, no, not at all. Very My whole nice. family is still in the area. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so how, what, what got you into bird dogs? You know, what really got you into it? Who got you into it? What, what got you there? Um, I, I think most people that get into uh, bird dogs, uh, they're just intrigued by by birds, game birds. They're 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 just so beautiful and and that. Uh, when I was a a little boy, my uncle who was um, into uh, bre breeding uh, and hunting with English setters, uh, and my grandfather uh, as well, thirties and forties, um, they they hunted when they came over from uh, the Tyrol region uh of uh, europe um they got setters and hunted grouse and woodcock in the area my uncle got into it after that also and then he in turn got me started and it all started i was uh, oh probably around eight or nine years old and for a christmas present he gave me uh four uh two males and two females uh bob white quail and uh, he built a little hutch for me and I raised him in my backyard. And that that started me with a love affair with game birds and eventually uh, bird dogs. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Now, what was your yeah. first bird dog? Uh, English setter. My uncle gave me a setter puppy. It was a little bit older and um, I was probably a little too young to, to manage it. And eventually uh, we, we gave it back to him. Um, Fast forward, I was a, uh, I guess, a junior in high school. And for some reason, just out of the blue, and I to this day don't know why, I went up to my uncle and I said, I, I'd like to go uh, grouse and woodcock hunting. I knew the, I, I think I had some friends were talking about it and an opening day was coming up. He said, okay, I'll take you. Uh, long story short, we went out, my father, my uncle, myself, with his English setters, as we were hunting, out of nowhere came this dog. Someone else's dog was hunting in the area, and the dog must have ran off, heard us, came with us, and spent probably a half hour, 45 minutes hunting with us. Eventually, we got back to the parking area. Uh, we hooked up with the other hunter, gave him his dog back. Uh, and that dog was, to me, was the most beautiful thing I ever saw in my life, and I knew nothing about it. And it, um, I, on the ride home, I talked to my uncle about it, it turns out it was a Gordon setter. A couple of days later, he showed up the house with a, a magazine with a Gordon setter on the cover. I think it was sports of field or outdoor life. One of those. And of course, in the back of the magazine was a, a, a classified ad for Gordon setter pups. And uh, I did my uh, homework, like in where the red fern grows. I'm sure you've seen that where, uh, he saved up his money and bought a, a couple of puppies. I did the exact same thing, but with Gordon Setters. 
So uh, my first dogs that I actually, you know, trained and had myself were actually Gordon setters. Yeah. I am fixing to get my very first Gordon setter. Look, look at my mug. <laughs> hey, I tell yeah. you what, I, I want to tell you right off, Robert, Gordon setters are phenomenal. They are. I, I was just telling um, uh, one of my clients and very, very dear friend, Richard Waters, you know, I've trained, you name a pointing breed, I've trained it. I mean, just a lot of different oddball breeds, you know, uh, uh, long-haired Weimariners and all, all kinds of breeds. My man, yeah. my man has trained a poodle. A poodle, a poodle. <laughs> the smartest breed, uh, I, I, I would have to say, is a Gordon Setter. They're just super, super intelligent. Um, and I love their uh, their disposition and, and their trainability. Um uh, we, I have a, a male Gordon setter that we stud out. Um, I, I don't, I don't have time for my own dogs actually to be training and hunting them. Uh, so I gave my dog to a friend of mine, Rick Harp down in Florida. So he actually has him hunts with him, but we, we've had him collect it and uh, we're studying him out and he's throwing some really nice pups. Yeah. What is it about the, what is it about that Gordon setter that you feel separates them from the rest? Intelligence. Brains. I, like I said, they're just the smartest breed. They're they're super easy to train because they're so smart. They understand um, a, a lot uh, a lot quicker um, than than the other breeds. Now, obviously, there's individual dogs. I, we had a champion, an English setter, by his registered name was Islander. Um, he's one of the winningest uh, male setters of all time. I, I believe we had. Uh, 16 or 17 uh, championship titles on him but he was super super smart but um you know i'm just saying as as a as a whole for the breed i find that the gordon setters uh, just are very very intelligent and they're beautiful oh they are <laughs> oh they're beautiful you know i i find it very interesting you talk about intelligence uh i had a gentleman on a podcast by the name of dick brothers and in the sport of raccoon hunting, I mean, he is, he's accomplished it all. I mean, he's won handler of the year multiple times, multiple world champions, strictly on his line of dogs. Mm -hmm. And that is a beautiful thing. 37 years of breeding. Um, yeah. And it, it's really, it's really amazing to see the dedication and mm. that he handles his own hounds. Right. You know, and when someone does that, coming from a handler i'm a I, I would consider myself a pro handler in many aspects as well in the coonhound world um when you when you call yourself a pro handler in the bird dog world now it's a little different ball game than what because there's a lot of traveling that goes into what you do oh yeah and let's <laughs> just, talk about my wife <laughs> that's right i know it's most of your life let's talk about a little bit of the traveling let's talk about what it takes to really make it as a professional handler well, it's difficult, like you said about uh, this other uh, handler where, where he's developing his own line and competing with his dogs. Uh, I would love to do that, um, and, and it's probably in a, in, in a way easier. Like for me, uh, I, I'm going to get 10, 12, 15, 20 different bloodlines from you know different people that have raised the puppy or the dog a certain way, and you know, I got to take all these different breeds and bloodlines and early development and and train them. Whereas if you're just breeding your own dogs, you know what to look for um, and you're, you're raising them all a certain way. Um, so so it makes it difficult for me to to uh, uh, have to take these different uh, bloodlines and different breeds and and still make them do the same thing. So. Um, that, that's something I find a little challenging. So if you're not good with, you know, and, the, and there are a lot of very successful, uh, handlers and trainers in our game also that, that have done, uh, like you said, developed their own line and, and, and went on. But if you're going to train for the public, there's also, there's great, great successful trainers in the bird dog world. One, one, um, trainer that I, uh, uh, idolize uh, uh and may, maybe you've heard of him harold ray uh yes. he trained the, the smith setters uh he's retired now his son uh, doug is now training for the public but he was fortunate he had one client um ellen and Inez smith uh they were coal barons from uh, western pennsylvania uh so he he only had to develop 
that one line of setters and and that that that's a great thing you know you could uh um pick and choose what which prospects are going to make it and as you go on year after year breeding uh you, you know what to look for building that foundation so, you just build on yeah, that foundation yeah. you know and one thing i wanted to say about that conversation i have with mr brothers is he said one thing that you said right there brains if they don't have brains they'll never make it absolutely you know i, I mean you could get lucky you could get lucky with a dog that uh, has a lot of talent and but the consistent winners they have to be smart um and that's you know i get asked that what, what do you look for you know um uh, good nose uh you know range uh, desire the, the first thing is you got to have a smart puppy and uh, from there um you know the, all the other things are very important but that's the that's the basis uh, you got to have intelligence and, and sure. something something that i would really say separates raccoon hunting handling from bird dog handling i have done both and something i really okay. seen with the bird dog industry is you really have to know your dog in and out right especially on a competitive level when you get out there and you're on a competitive level you have to impress those judges. You got to know which, what style that judge likes. Right. You know, and, and in coon hounds, it's a little different with our professional handlers, some of them and some of them not. But with our so-called professional handlers, some of them have never hunted this dog a day in their life. And they'll just show up, watch a video, listen to his uh, sound of his <clears throat> voice and just go off the sound of his voice. Wow. The bird dogs. That's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, a, a good handler, I mean, there's a difference between a good trainer and a good handler. A, a good handler um, can get into a dog's head pretty quickly and, and handle them capably, but not, like you said, not not to perfection. My, my experience with coon hunting and dogs is very, very limited. And it seemed um, almost like, uh, you know, rabbit hunting where, where you, you know, once you let that dog go, um, it, it's more, you know, following them and just letting, letting their natural ability take over. Uh, and it, training a bird dog, especially, especially not so much for hunting, which we do a lot of uh, gun dog training, but for competitions, uh, you you almost have to go against their natural ability. Um, in, in the type of events that I compete in, when the dog points a bird, uh, if you're just out hunting, uh, you get close to the dog, whatever happens, happens. The bird flushes, you shoot it, the dog brings it back to you. That's very natural for that dog. In our competitions, the dog has to find that bird and point, and then it has to remain on point with style and composure as you flush the bird and shoot a gun and can't move. And that's so unnatural for the dog. Um, so that that's where some very difficult training, um, which actually takes years. Um, you know, I see <clears throat> guys posing a, a champion coon dog or a beagle or whatever, and they might be like a year old. It, you know, they might be whatever. And, and that's just that could never happen with a bird dog. It takes multiple years to get to that level. So I love that you said that. And here's the reason why. I, I, I tell folks all the time, Robert, I hunted, I, I hunted bird dogs. I'm not a master. I'm not a professional bird dog man by no means. I love the sport hunted with some gentlemen that field trial and won heavily. One thing I learned, you have to let dogs mature. Yeah. And so folks scald me all the time, man, you start your dogs late. You start your dogs late. Mm -hmm. That's a matter of opinion because mm -hmm. I'm letting my dog mature. And as I let that dog mature, I can work through those good habits, the bad habits, getting prepped for when he's a two, three, four-year-old. Because when Absolutely. he's a four-year-old, I'm rolling. Right, right. You know, and yeah. I, I saw that in the bird dog industry a lot. And I noticed that we didn't really ever push our six-month-old, nine-month-old. We didn't really push him real hard. No, you can't. I mean, you can, but you're you're not going to end up with much if you overdo it uh too too soon um again going back to i mentioned rich waters uh, a little while ago um he's an older gentleman uh he's getting up there in age so his patience is kind of 
uh, waning on him. He uh, has a nice young dog, and I've been going very, very slow with the dog. And just all of a sudden, within the last uh, month or so, I've seen a change in the dog. He's physically matured. He's uh, mentally matured now, and he's accepting training, and he's ready to go. Um, the, the only problem with, with our sport takes three years to train the dog and a couple of years of experience. You know, I, I look at their window of like five years old to eight years old, those three years, that's when a dog's going to do its most winning. And then all of a sudden he's getting old and, yeah. you, and, and it, it is just such a short window that a dog could, could win in our game, which is, uh, uh, kind of frustrating, but um, it is what it is because if you push them too young, and I've done it, and when I first started, it was you know let's just push this dog along because you know we're trying to trying to win, and uh, nine times out of ten you're going to end up ruining that dog. So blowing uh, I, I think going slow is the way to go. I couldn't have said it any better myself. I couldn't agree with it anymore. I mean, yeah. You really got to let dogs mature and dogs, some dogs mature completely different than others. They're no, no oh, different yes. than humans. I mean, we all mature differently, you know, uh, well, some of us still aren't mature, right? <laughs> <laughs> some of us still aren't, you know, you know, in Robert, something I find really interesting about bird dogs is the style of hunting is different as well. And when we talk about comp dogs, competition dogs, field trial dogs, and then we're talking about gun dogs. You're talking about two totally different worlds. Oh, yeah. One thing that, that kind of bothers me, um, you know, I post a lot on Facebook with with our dogs. And, and our dogs in the United States um, are completely different than dogs in Europe, uh, bird dogs. Um, a different style, uh, totally. Uh, we like our dogs, our, our pointers and setters, all breeds with a, with a high tail, a high head. Um, whereas in Europe, they like a, a, a dog close to the ground, the tail straight out the back, all those things. And, you know, I watch a lot of videos of, of dogs from Europe and I, I think they're beautiful. And I, I always comment, you know, bravo or excellent. And but every now and then I'll get some, some people from Europe that totally want to trash what we do. And, and they don't understand that type of dog and that type of hunting doesn't exist here in the United States. We can't have a dog like that. We need a dog with a high tail where you're in a thick brush and you see that tail sticking up. And uh, I, I wish people were, were a little more uh, understanding of that different, you know, what works for a guy hunting grouse in, in Northern Maine, uh, his, his dog isn't going to be suited uh, for someone hunting, you know, in Idaho up in the, the Rocky uh, Mountains. Um, so your dog has to adapt or you have to train your dog to whatever you want. And like you said, uh, a gun dog versus a competition dog, um, they're definitely uh, two different animals. And yet, you know, when I'm guiding for my clients um, and we, we go out on a hunt, I, I could take a champion out and the dogs know the difference and adjust their range and their style and their speed of hunting uh, to suit a foot hunter. So, uh, and again, the smart dogs can handle that. They can do both, yeah. but you can't take a gun dog and win a championship, but you can definitely take a champion and go hunting. That's pretty neat hunting. though. That, that, yeah. that's really neat you know and it's it's something that folks like you said in the european and american <laughs> style even though it's two different styles like you said what they don't understand they hadn't been to florida exactly, <laughs> you, exactly. You, i never forget the first time i saw a gentleman bring a britney long-haired britney down here and i went that ain't gonna work <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> she'll hang up in them bushes and then she ain't gonna go nowhere Right. You know, you know, and that's the thing is you got to understand your terrain. Uh, same thing with raccoon hunting. Uh, with raccoon hunting, what you worry about more is we don't worry about the point as much as we worry about the nose because we have to adjust that nose to where we're going to. Same as with the bird dog. Their their noses have to adjust with terrain as well. I've noticed that over the years. I've seen dogs go from Florida to South Dakota and act like completely different animals. Oh, Yeah. When, when I come down, well, I'm from Pennsylvania, as, as you mentioned, but I spend the winters in North Carolina because 
you know, it's cold and snowy in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, so I'm down here January and February, uh, maybe into March, depending on the weather. But the difference in uh, the soil is unbelievable. Down here, where I'm in the sand hills, and it's it's uh, very sandy, obviously. And, uh, you know, it could rain, you know, all night. And you get up the next morning, and there's not a puddle to be found. Like it. So when I bring my dogs down from the muddy, rocky region of uh, Pennsylvania, it takes them a good solid two weeks for their nose to adjust to the different scenting conditions. It, it's completely different. It's uh, wild, from, though, isn't it? It's like, whoa. Yeah, yeah the, the, it's the moisture. Uh, it's the ground cover. Um whatever you know i don't i can't smell a bird so i don't know exactly what it is but the scenting conditions are definitely that i do know are definitely different um in the sand hills than than other regions where i run the dogs so so something i want to really speak with you about robert i want to talk about training uh we spoke a little bit about age earlier we talked about you asked me about scent training and stuff like that uh, I, I'll go ahead and start it off if you want, uh, kind of tell you and answer your question that you asked me earlier about scent training and how do I start? Uh, what I do is when I get a pup, I typically get a pup, uh, from about nine weeks on, I'm using some type of raccoon scent. And sometimes it's when I come back from hunting, uh, Wait, do you, do you make your own scent or is it something you buy like a process thing? Uh, no, no, sir. I'm, I usually always make my own scent if I can. Okay. Uh, yeah. If we if we harvest, you know, night before I try to get, especially a boar coon, I try to get the urine. And uh, but something folks forget is these hounds aren't necessarily tracking just the urine; they're tracking the pad of the foot. And so, what I've mm -hmm. learned over the years is, is you can take the pad of the foot and just rub it on your hand and let that puppy smell it, and or take a a, pad, a wet pad and put a wet pad and rub the bottom of a harvested raccoon and you can take that pad and drag that pad and use it to hang and get them to start going up the trees and smelling up the trees and so that's how you get them to track and make scent drags basically and uh so i do a lot of scent dragging all the way till they're about four to five months old and then once they go to tree and then they get used to running up the tree and they know that's what they're doing uh that i never show mine a live raccoon a lot of folks do um it's just not something i do i i was i had a lady on holly barker she stated to me and it really really clicked she said uh i was talking about mean dogs because on the tree you get four dogs never seen each other before in a cast and what would you call uh that would be a two dog braces we basically have a four dog brace right when all four of those dogs get on the tree together and they're all barking. And if you get a dog in there that is used to having a raccoon shot out repetitively to him, he's thinking about one thing. So yeah. if something slaps that water, the first reaction is, ah, and yeah. he wants to grab. And so I never really thought about that much. And Miss Holly was talking about, she said, what happens is, is when you, they hear that gunshot. That on that primal instinct goes, Oh, I know what's coming. Well, when they know what's coming and it hits the ground, they lose all sense of smell. And when they lose that sense of smell, you no longer have a coon hound. You have something that's doing what it's supposed to be doing. And that's finishing off its game, right. but you're creating a monster. Yep. Now, in bird dogs, and this is why I said all that, in bird dogs, I was always told, don't you let them touch that bird. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't you let them eat that bird. Yeah. Now, Robert, please explain your style well, and what they mean behind that. Oh, I agree. I agree with that. I don't, um, and another, you know, I mentioned before about the European uh, viewers on Facebook making comments, like I, I've posted several videos we had a great hunting year this year our dogs point the bird we walk in we flush the bird we shoot the bird and we walk over and we pick it up and they just think that's the most ridiculous thing in the world like why doesn't the dog go get the bird and for what i do for the types of competitions i run in 
where the dogs have to be steady to wing and shot. Just like you said with, with killing the coon, if you're letting the dog go get the bird and get the bird in his mouth, your job as a trainer to keep him steady to wing and shot in a competition is much more difficult. Now, um, I have a good friend that's also a trainer, uh, Nick Puhawk. Uh, he trains for the Coverly Kennels also in Pennsylvania. Um, and But they don't do competitions like we do. They do um, AKC hunt tests, uh, which isn't really a competition. It's a test to see what level your dog's at. And their <clears throat> top uh, class is uh, a master hunter. Now, those dogs have to point the bird, remain steady to wing and shot, the gunner flushes and shoots the bird. Now the dog has to go out, pick the bird up and bring it back. That is super, super difficult. Um, and thank God that's not something I have to do because uh, I, I would have to adjust my training because uh, um, it's very difficult. So for me, it just makes my life easier if the dogs don't go get the bird. Now, the gun dogs that we train, you know, the, the average weekend hunter that's not interested in competition sends me a dog and he wants the dog to retrieve. What I tell them is uh, we're not going to make your dog steady to win shot. We're just going to get him steady. And when the bird flies, now he can now he can go. You shoot the bird, he'll bring it back. Um most of the breeds and bloodlines that we train are just natural retrievers. I don't do anything with force breaking um, at all. I just, if I have a puppy that the, someone wants it to retrieve, you just encourage them at a young age, the first couple birds, uh, you shoot, uh, play with it a little bit, bring them in on a check rope. They, most of them retrieve naturally. So makes makes it easy for that, but they're not going to be steady when you shot. Not the way I, I do it. What, what what is your style of training and what is the age you really start working with them someone should be working with a puppy right from eight weeks old not so much training in the field but uh socialization obedience uh, those sorts of things i i don't really think that i could do much um bang for your buck so to speak with training until a dog's at least six months uh old um, i have several young pups like that uh, with me this trip and uh, they're benefiting uh, my style I would say is I like to make it <clears throat> as, as natural as possible uh, for the dog um, I, I only use really good birds good flying birds um, uh, like down here I have um, I'm gonna say 10 release pens uh, or recall pens Johnny houses whatever you want to call them so we'll fly these birds out and uh, from each pen <clears throat> over to 600 acres and run the puppies through the area. Well, the, well the, those birds are uh, borderline wild birds. I, I, everybody says that, but um, they're just, the dog gets close, they fly. The, the dog, the puppy chases them, they're never going to catch them. They're just going to fly right out of the country. So when you, when you put a dog in a, a natural situation like that, it's really easy. I mean, when my uncle and grandfather were training dogs, there was getting, you just went, took them out in the woods, found grouse, found woodcock, and there was enough game to make the dog. And that's what I try to simulate, even though they're not all wild birds, although um, my, my dogs see uh, wild birds um, probably eight months out of the year. Um, so uh, the, 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 the more natural the situation, I think, and that's the way I try to do it, the better the training goes. I like that. It's very similar to what I, what I follow. Um, I try to let my dogs be naturals. You know, yeah. I, I take them out there. Uh, Chetta was just a natural. There was another one I had coming up with him named Fancy, and I sold her to a good friend of mine uh, out of Georgia named Tanner Mooney. And the first time I ever took him to the woods, now I I trained him with drags and everything. They were used to smelling what a raccoon smelled like. Uh, but something was amazing about him. The first time I ever took him, they treat a raccoon by themselves, and they done it in style. And I was like, what in the world? But I took that time, just like you said, from the time they yeah. were nine weeks 
all the way through. Stuck to that game plan and then followed it all the way through till Fancy was a year, a little over a year old, and then Tanner got her, and I continued it on with Chetta. And he's three now. And I tell you, it's he's made a fine hound for me. That's great. Yeah. That's great. One of the uh, big parts of bird dog training that, that you'll see, you know, maybe with other trainers or books or videos, um, they, they talk a lot about yard work. Uh, and it's basically obedience. You know, they're, they're teaching the dog to wall. They're putting them on a bench or they're putting them on a, a board, a wall board, um, all, all the wall posts. All Balance barrels. About, yeah, exactly. <laughs> a barrel. Um, and, you know, a lot of new people will come and, and work dogs with me, and, and they're really surprised that I don't do any of that. I, I do very little um, yard work. Uh, with the dog I expect when I get a young dog that it's uh had some obedience you know knows to come when it's called that sort of thing and it's well socialized from there um all of that uh, um what they do yard work what maybe another trainer will do and I'm not knocking anybody because the the key to training any kind of dog for whatever is developing your own uh system for me uh, that just isn't necessary um, part of what I do. They're going to learn a, 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 a trick I have um, or a benefit of the way I do it. Um, maybe you've seen in some of my videos uh, on my side-by-side, -side, when we're conditioning dogs, we could uh, put four dogs in harnesses um, and go out. Now I could work another dog out in the field and let's say that dog goes on point. I could drive up with the the side by side with those four other dogs, and what I like to do is maybe have um, there there two in each uh, harness. So I'll put a well trained, older, experienced dog with maybe a young dog next to him. Now they're harnessed together; they can't really go anywhere. So dog A is out there in the field pointing. We drive the 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 buggy up the experienced dog honors him and is staunch the young dog might be moving around but he can't go anywhere now all of a sudden his interest is piqued by what's going on in front i walk out to flush the birds he sees a covey of birds go and now he's like oh and and the dogs are a lot smarter than we give them credit for um i was um, just today i was with rich waters again older gentleman and we were exercising these dogs and i said to him you know it, it, he, i said to him what am i doing here he said well you're conditioning the dogs i said i'm doing more than that i had some young dogs in the harness and i had another dog out there running and as we're driving along i'm giving that dog commands to turn to come to go whatever that those young dogs in the harness are listening and watching all of this and so they're getting almost the same workout as that other dog is. And, and yet they're, they're not even at that level, but they're learning uh, from that. So uh, I'm fortunate that I could have the grounds to do that and have enough dogs that, that some dogs could learn from the others. I'm sure your dogs, you know, you brace up a young dog with an older dog for that purpose. Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. You know, uh, a strong foundation builds a strong house. That's what I was always taught, you know, and my daddy told me a long time ago, he said, son, don't ever take a young dog to the woods with a good, without a good solid hound. Right. And, you know, and so that, and that's what I do. I mean, and Cheddar was natural, but when Cheddar treated his raccoon by himself, he was cut with an old dog and he just yeah. naturally split off and done his own thing. Uh, and that's just how I train. Do you guys have to, uh, uh, condition the dogs like with a four wheeler, that sort of thing? I do a lot of conditioning. Uh, I, when my, in the off season here, I do a lot of treadmill, a lot of yard running. Uh, I have a big five acre lot. My dogs get to run in. And, uh, so we, we do a lot of conditioning. I also show hounds. So I do a lot of conditioning for my show hounds as well. Um, I do like treadmill, but treadmill can mess with their gait at times. And oh, so okay. you have to be really careful with gait when you're showing yeah. hounds as well. Yeah, you got to be careful with conditioning. Like I, I have, I'm very fortunate. I get a lot of uh, 
my clients and friends will come around and they want to help. And, and I take advantage of good help all the time. Uh, but one thing I won't let anybody do, like they'll say, oh, let me road your dogs for you. No, it's it's really it's something that and I can't tell them like they'll say, well, just tell me how many miles ago, how fast. Ago. You have to be constantly watching those dogs. And if you're doing four dogs, you, you just it, it, it's too dangerous to let anyone else uh, rode the dogs. Um, I'm just always watching, looking for any little thing, uh, how far to push them. You know, they're starting to get tired, but I want to get a little extra out of all those little things. Who needs water? Who doesn't? Um, so uh, roading, uh, I just do myself. Yeah. If I yeah. can't road, then the dogs don't get roaded. <laughs> well, they have to be, whether they're coon hounds, especially bird dogs, they have to be so well conditioned and be ready to go at all times. Uh, I feel like, um, no, no, I'm just saying from a bird, bird dog, bird hunting experience that I've had the conditioning in birds, I've seen more conditioning in bird dogs than I ever have in Kunal. Okay. I really have. Uh, I love, I love putting a harness on a dog, hooking him to a side by side and rolling with them. Uh, there's, yeah. there's people that do it in the coonhound industry, but not many. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a big part for, for me. Um, because you know, two things, the competitions we do, um, the championships are, are only one hour, but the judges want to see the dog at top speed for the whole entire hour. If you, you, you know, once that dog slows down a little bit or uh, misses the beat, that's the difference between winning and losing. The other thing is, um, you know, to, to smell a bird running at top speed, you you got to be in good condition because if you're tired or the dog's mouth is open or he's not breathing right or whatever, he's not going to be able to smell. Uh, so you're going to miss birds that way. So conditioning is a, a big part of it. Um, you know, not so much if I get a, um, a, a dog in for training that's just going to be a hunting dog, um, they can pretty much get themselves in condition as the season goes on, you know, early season, run them shorter periods and they could just build it up. <clears throat> Whereas for the competitions, uh, not so much, they got to be full tilt for that whole uh, hour. So that's why we, we uh, condition them. But, but the real secret for me is the way the dogs learn that I'm not just conditioning. I'm not just out there roading the dogs. They're, they're learning something as I'm doing it. And that's very important. That's very yeah. important for a hound, a, a hound or a bird. It doesn't matter. I'm telling you right now, when you get them out there and you condition <laughs> them, you can teach them so much while you're doing it. Uh, we talk about recall. Recall is very important to me. And I learned that through bird dogs. I just love a recall. And so what, uh, do you, what do you mean by recall? Is that coming so back? To coming back. Coming oh, back. Okay. And, and so in, in coon hounds, we call it recall. Okay. Uh, so that's what we i do in the bird dogs you would call that handling handling yeah, yeah. different yeah. terms same different thing. terms yeah. same thing absolutely and so <laughs> when when you get a dog to recall in the coonhound world sometimes it folks look at you in the cast like your dog would do that and yeah it's a big deal to me because if they get out of pocket i'm used to going whoop 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 whoop, whoop, whoop. you know you know what i'm talking about and giving them those yeah. warnings and yeah. In coon hounds, we cannot give warnings. And okay. so your dog has to go out there and have enough brains to know not to go three miles to tree that raccoon. Right. He's got to know. That's just experience from you working them. That, that's, that's it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I had a gentleman write me the other night, and uh, it was kind of a, a snarky comment. He said, your dog couldn't tree a raccoon in a 20-acre lot. So Robert, you know what I did? I went to a 20 acre lot, but I've never been to a day of my life. And I got it on video. You can see it on Facebook. I cut him live, done it live on Facebook in a 20 acre lot. He went 78 yards and treated a raccoon. <laughs> That's now, awesome. So I said, well, <laughs> I proved that wrong. I, I, you know, for, as I'm getting older, um, the the most important uh 
training aspect of a, of a dog in, in competitions for me is a dog that handles or recalls. Um, you know, not so much when I was younger and was able to, you know, run up and down hills and chase after dogs and, and whatever. Um, but, but now I want a dog that really handles because the bottom line is uh, you could have a dog with any kind of trait, a little flaw, a little fault, a, a mistake here, a mistake there. You could still end up winning. The one thing you can't win with is a dog that you lose. If the dog's gone, <laughs> that's it. So I, I, I like to really work on a dog's handle um, and, uh, you know, make sure that that's uh, drilled into their brain, you know, come, come around. Recall. Right. And, and, and using that handling aspect of it, I've taught this hound to where he knows if he hits uh, that 20 acre lot, and he hits a field, he knows to stop at that field and go back in those trees. Hmm. And that's the key behind the handling I've put behind this hound. And what I'm trying to explain, not only to you, but for those that are interested in coon hounds as well, maybe from your aspect, uh, that's yeah. something I really focus on. I, I don't want my hound to ever be in the open unless that raccoon ran across there right Ever. right i want him to be in the woods where the raccoons are <laughs> yeah, you want him you want him we would say you'd want him in the cover um, yes and, and that's important too you don't want a dog spending a, a bird dog you know you're hunting quail and you're in a bean field well you don't want him out in the middle of the cut bean field there's no birds there you want him on the edge um, or, you know, in the rough, whatever, uh, same thing. You, you want that dog, um, uh, using, uh, the cover to, to his advantage. You don't want him wasting time in, in birdless cover for sure. Pretty neat how it's similar though, isn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It <clears throat> was, uh, probably about, uh, 25, uh, maybe even longer, maybe 30 years ago, I spent a winter, um, at a guy's uh, plantation near Clinton, North Carolina. And uh, he was having trouble. Well, we, we were, we had several quail pens and the coons were just uh, getting into them all the time. So he knew some coon hunters that were going to come over. And uh, they came over and I asked if I could go with them. And before they went to the farm, to this farm, they, they said, oh, we're going such and such place. So I went with them. And off through the woods in the middle of the night, we went and uh, they, they somehow the, they got on a track and they treed the coon, but the coon jumped to another tree or whatever. And they, they lost it. And this went on. This was pretty long and um, got back to the truck. And I said, well, why don't we go over to, to the farm there? I said, I, there's got to be a lot of them there. And it was amazing. Like every seemed like every 10 minutes, they'd cut the dogs loose, boom, boom, shoot it, cut them loose. Boom. The place was just loaded with them. And that, that was really fun. The, the first part just probably wasn't so much fun for me because there wasn't a lot of action. Um, but the, the second part, when we got into a lot of coons, that was really exciting. Yeah. To hear those dogs uh, on the tree. Yow, 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 yow. It's so neat. <laughs> And this might sound bad, but I really enjoyed, you know, the, the end game. Like a lot of guys will get to my age and they're like, well, I, I go hunting. I don't care if I shoot any birds or whatever. That's not me. I like to hunt and uh, I, I like the end uh, part of it, you know, putting, putting well, game in the bag. I like putting game in the bag and there's a lot of folks local here, locally here that I, I give them to. I mean, when I harvest them, I, I got places for them to go. Now, can you eat them? Do you eat yeah, them? Yes, sir. I, I got a lot of folks that I donate them to. And they'll, they'll eat them? Yeah, they love them. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. They make a stew out of them usually. Stew? Okay. All right. So something I would love to know about when we talk about your style handling, I would like to know how, how what is your style handling? How do you bring on a new new dog? Um, some folks are heavy-handed. Heavy some folks like a soft touch. What's your style? First and foremost is putting a dog in into a natural situation, good birds, uh, whether it's wild birds, uh, woodcock. Uh, um, I, in the summer, I release uh, a lot of pheasants into my field um, uh, throughout the hunting season and the training season, migratory uh, season for woodcock. When I'm down in North Carolina, it's really, really good. Um, uh, 
quail. Um, from there, I would probably say I'm a an e-collar guy. I use the the e-collar uh, a lot, um, and uh, not so much to to correct and come down on a dog. I'll actually uh, use an e-collar while a dog is on point to actually build their style and their confidence and their composure. Um, the, the, the collars now with the, um, you know, vibration, tone, um, the nick with so many different levels of intensity, there's so many things you can do with it. Uh, that being said, a, a lot of trainers use a collar around a dog's flank. I don't do any of that. Um, almost never will you see one of my dogs with a collar around their flank. It's, it's all around the neck. Um, and I use it for everything, all the commands, uh, what you call recall or, or coming back. I use it for that, for the woe, staying steady on a bird, um, honoring anything, the command you, you're training, I use the e-collar for. Tell me a little bit about what you've won. <laughs> um, well, I've been doing it a long time. Um, my first... Uh, championship uh title that I ever won i was actually an amateur um at the time um was an open championship and that goes all the way back to uh 1990 89 90 somewhere in there um and uh probably in about the i'm gonna say the mid 90s about 95 96 is when i um turned professional and uh, started taking in um, client dogs to train um, so far uh, in my career I think I'm at uh, 115 uh, championship titles I, I don't have a number of how many different dogs but um, quite a few uh, one thing that I'm pretty proud of is that I, I, I've won with a bunch of different breeds um, I've won with English setters um, English pointers uh, um, Irish setters and Britneys. Um, and my goal is, uh, to your point, is to uh, win one with a Gordon setter, which would be um, pretty cool because that's what I started with. But um, I'm going to be rooting you on on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. Uh, you know, uh, there has to be a special moment in your in your career where you went, I made it. What What, what was that moment for you? Well, it was probably, um, I'm going to say 2000. I, I had just gotten married uh, the year before. Um, might have been 2001, 2000, 2001, somewhere in there. My son was just born. And it was hard, you know, with a new marriage, being on the road and traveling. Uh, but I had a, um, a, a season that I'll never duplicate again. Um, we started off, I won uh, uh, the Northeast Woodcock Championship in Rhode Island. And from there, I went out to Wisconsin and I won the uh, Wisconsin uh, Woodcock Championship. And then I went to Michigan and I won the, uh, the Lake States Grouse Championship, the Grand National Grouse and Woodcock Futurity, and then came back to Pennsylvania uh, for the Pennsylvania Grouse Championship, which is uh, a, a prestigious uh, event. And I won that. And there were that that particular trial, there were 98 dogs in it. It's just there's only ever been one other uh, cover dog title with more dogs. And that was um, the year before there were 99 dogs. So uh, it's a really big trial. Um, unfortunately, at that time, they did not have a uh, an award for the top handler um, in the cover dog. But with the points that I would have won that year, would have been a record breaking season. You know, and and when that happened, I, I I realized that I could do this as a you know a long term career because uh, I was only into it for <clears throat> about five years, and like I said, with a new wife and uh, a new uh, son and a mortgage and all those other things. It was like, is this 
can I make this work? And uh, after that season, um, I felt like I could. And uh, I guess I have. I don't, I'm not sure some days, but here we are. It looks like you've done a pretty good job. I mean, you've done a lot of winning, and congratulations on that. Thank you. I mean, really. And that's, that's, that's really important to me, you know, to win. But um, what I'm most proud of is, is you know, the um, the people that I get into the sport, the relationships I, I grow with uh, my clients, becoming friends, and, you know, the, the, you know, 115 championships. I can't even tell you probably thousands of, of hunting dogs that I've trained for people that, you know, I'll get a call or a letter or a text message saying, Hey, you know, Snoopy did a great job this season and we killed 10 pheasants over, you know, that those, those types of things are very satisfying. If you had a top five of dogs, what would your top five be? <laughs> um, boy. And in no particular order, I don't want anybody to hold me to this, but just some of the great dogs that I've trained in no particular order. Um, I, I would uh, definitely um, mention a, a little setter um, that I met, just mentioned that I won that Grand National Futurity in, in 2000. Her name was Keystone's Red Rider. She was very special. Her older brother was a dog by the name of Taz. Um I won eight open titles with him, which uh, was is amazing. Um, um, I'm staying at Dr. George Nager's house here, and um, we just retired last year. His great champion, Miss Penstar, she had 10 uh, titles. I think earlier I, I spoke about um, that champion Islander with 16 or 17 titles. Great dog. Um, uh, Peacedale Duke, um, you know, uh, I have some great setters now, um, but they're in their career. So it's hard to, you know, it's like when people talk about, you know, LeBron James and Michael Jordan, you know, that LeBron's still playing. So you have to wait and see how everything shakes out. Um, and know, they're all different. They're so, all so much different. Yeah. Yeah some of my pointer owners are going to get on me because all I did was name setters. Um, you know, Rich Waters, I've mentioned him three or four times already uh, in this talk. He's, he's had some great pointers and uh, uh, he's had uh, national champion bull Pineywood. Um, you know, that was a, it, I'm, we're still running him. He's kind of at the end of his career, but he was a, a great dog for sure. I had mentioned off camera. We spoke about my friend Antonio DeTolo from Long Island he had the first pointer I ever won with was a dog by the name of Concord Mike. Um, and he was a, a, a great uh, pointer. Um, just last year, I won the, the national championship with uh, Glossalon Warpaint, Jamie Knee's pointer. Um, you know, anytime you win a national title, you know, that dog's got to be in the conversation for um, the best uh, of the best. Um, Irish setters, um, I had a, a a female, her name was Celtics First Strike. You know, I won a championship with her against pointers and setters, which is pretty um, pretty rare uh, to do. So she was definitely the best Irish setter, I can say that, that I ever trained. Um, currently, I have two little Brittany females that are both champions. Um, uh Ivy's whiskey in a teacup and Bruno's piney rum pearl. So those two um, would be the best two Britneys that I've ever trained. I'm, I'm sure I missed a lot of really great pointers and setters, but um, it, it, it's hard, you know, to, to pick uh, the best of, of all these great dogs it really is. Well, especially someone like you that you've handled so many great ones. I mean, you really have, yeah. you, you know, and I mean, that's gotta be, I bet you, you just you kind of think about it every now and again and go, whoa, man. You <laughs> yeah, know? No, what, what I what I fantasize about sometimes is like if I could, you know, I have, I have a topper on my truck. I go to a trial. I have 10 holes. If I could put 10 of the greatest dogs I've ever had in their prime in those 10 holes, how how easy my life would be. <laughs> you know, yeah. one of them is yeah. going to beat it. But it, it's, it's almost like – what I do or what other trainers do, it's almost like um, um, 
a baseball manager where you're trying to build a team. You got some young dogs coming up. You got some veterans that are doing real well. And then you got some dogs on their way out, the older ones. And you, you're, you're constantly trying to build your team. And you're looking at, um, like you said, about different uh, venues and that. Um, like, hey, should I go to this trial where, you know, it's more suited for pointers, but yet my string is top heavy with setters. So maybe I'll go to this trial. So you're always trying to strategize about where to go. Um, hey, that judge, he likes setters or, or that judge, you know, oh, he, he doesn't like Britney's, whatever. And you're trying to uh, figure out what to do. That That's, I kind of enjoy that part of it because there's a little bit of strategy to the, to it uh, that way. And it's kind of fun for me because I'm a big uh uh, baseball fan and i, I kind of like that end of it strategizing that competitive edge no I, the, you guys do that too but is your judging uh, my question is um like uh, our sport the judging is 99.9 percent .9 subjective uh there's no well my dog found more birds than you so i should win there's no my dog ran bigger than yours. He should win. There's none of that. It's just what the judge enjoyed the most. Um, is is your sport like that, or is it more? Hey, how could, that dog can't win because it didn't treat a coon like you. You could win a like I said, you could win a field trial with our type with any kind of dog, um, if the judge liked it. It's all up to him. Um, the only time in coonhounds where a judge is actually making a real call like you you would in a field yeah. trial judge uh would be in the bench show okay when we are competition hunting uh the way i always try to address what we call a cast which would be uh our, our group of hounds going to hunt together uh when we draw out together I, we have a judge on the cast that judge is there to keep up with the scores keep everybody in check Make sure everything's wrote down correctly. Make sure each handler is calling the correct hound when that hound barks. Uh, he's responsible to keep up with all that. And he's responsible to say, hey, no, sir, that's not your dog. That's this man's dog. And this man says it's his dog. And then when we run into that circumstance, that's when the judge steps in. He goes, hey, this is my call. Right. Right. And there you go. So he's more like an arbitrator. He's really not. Correct. Subjectively picking the dogs. Yeah. And especially when I judge, what I try to tell everybody when I judge is guys, we're all judging. We're all working together. And, you know, let's just make it easy. Let's go out <laughs> here. Let's go hunt. That's not bird dogs. <laughs> That's not bird dogs at all. You know, it's completely different. Um, now, you do have non hunting uh, judges sometimes. And now, whatever that judge says goes. You do okay. not question that judge just that simple so we do have that that happens at the bigger hunts uh typically on your final final go round. yeah that's a lot of people um don't like that about the sport and there's times i don't but in the grand scheme of things i think it what makes our sport a bird dog competition is great because um i could have what i, what I think is a great dog and and, and take it to a trial and it wins and then take it the next week and it could do the exact same thing and somebody else wins. So he kind of um, spread the wealth, so to speak. And, and there's room, you know, I might have two or three dogs and one is this style and one's that style. So there's, there's a time that each one of them can win depending on the judges. So I kind of like it. Um, and if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing what I, what I do. So, um, but there's times it could be frustrating. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I can definitely see that. There's times where I've, uh, during showing dogs, I just, I see one thing and the judge sees something else. Now, when you say showing dogs, are you talking about like, uh, confirmation? Like a, okay. So an AKC show, UKC, type. I'm typically, I'm more of a bench show hound, uh, in AKC or UKC, excuse me, I do bench shows. I've done some AKC ground confirmation and some UKC ground confirmation. And it's just, it's different. You know, um, I like a hound on a bench and present my hound the way that I feel like I grew up to teach show a hound. 
Now, so you've been around the UKC for a while. I, I, I'm sure you've heard um, for my whole career, we were governed by uh, the American field, uh, the field dog stud book. Um, I guess it's been two, two years ago or so, maybe longer. I'm not sure. Uh, the UKC uh, purchased them. So now we're governed, now the competitions I do are governed under the UKC. I do do some AKC events, um, not that many, but um, it's getting to be more because more of my dogs are AKC registered now. Uh, but what what's your take on the UKC? Uh, personally, I think it's going to be good for my sport, but uh, a lot of people aren't happy with it. Uh, what do you what do you have to say about that? Let me tell you something. There's a man with UKC. Um, he he's absolutely amazing. Been amazing for the sport. Named Alan Gingrich. I don't know if you've ever met him. No, I'm gonna write that name down. Write that name down, Alan um, Gingrich. And uh, he is he loves loves his beagles. He loves his coonhounds, and he's just an all around great sportsman. And he is a wonderful representative for UKC. Uh, okay. I would recommend definitely reaching out to Alan and I'd tell you something that he's a wealth of knowledge and he's so friendly. He always tries to make time for, for everyone. And that's, that's a special quality. Great. Um, and I want to ask you something and something that we do here at Hunter's wheelhouse. I have a pro staff and stuff like that. Uh, do you, is there any, is there much youth stuff going on for the bird dog industry? We're trying. Um, a lot of clubs are adding youth stakes uh, to their events to try to get um, kids involved. But um, it's mostly, you know, the son of someone that's already in it, that sort of thing. What 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 I try to do um, to grow the sport, um, if if I run into anybody that's the least bit interested in, in hunting um, and there's a a child or a, a teenager or whatever involved, I, I like to take them hunting. I like to get them involved that way um, because um, it, to, to just jump right in the, to my sport as a kid, it, it does, I don't think it would work. You got to have that passion for hunting first and then it grows into uh, field trials and, and competitions. So um, I'll take a kid out and I'll make sure there's birds out there and let him let him shoot birds. Um, and hopefully down the road, he gets the itch to uh, compete. Um, and every summer um, at my kennel in Pennsylvania, I'll, you know, hire a high school kid or, or whatever to help out around the kennel and try to uh, get him get him hooked on it that way. Um so I, th I think it's just like everybody says, you know, take a kid hunting. Uh, that's where uh, all this, the sports that we like, um, whether it's beagles, coonhounds, whatever, I think that's where um, the future is by getting kids out in the field hunting. I couldn't agree more. Most of my pro yeah. staff, Will Nance out of Oklahoma, he's 11 years old. This kid has won everywhere in the country. I mean, he's won, <laughs> I think, over $15,000 with his hounds. Wow. Uh, he's one in different states all across the country. Uh, we have multiple that show hounds as well. Um, and then some that do both. I mean, Jordan Brooks and Jake is his name, Jake Brooks. Jake is on my pro staff as well. So is Jordan. And they are just amazing out there kicking butt winning. And it's so cool to see these youth out there doing something that, that I grew up doing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Forgive my uh, lack of knowledge, but what, what what is a pro staff and what does that entail? Because I, I really don't. So basically, I, don't what I, hear, the, I hear that term, but I don't know what it means. So basically, what the pro staff entails is is pushing what we believe in. So if it's basically a product that I have on my on my shirt or something that I am pushing, uh, my pro staff goes out there. We push those products, and they also get compensated for doing that as well. And so it's, it's a very interesting program that we've set up and, uh, we got some big announcements coming up here in about two weeks. I can't wow. leak them yet. Uh, but I would definitely, definitely like to reach my hand out to you and invite you to come on to my pro staff as well. Um, and have you on board as my first and only, 
uh, bird dog man. I'm in. All right. And, and so basically what <laughs> it entails, you, you, something, Robert, the reason why I reached out to you, I, I saw your videos. And when I saw your videos, my dad's a big, avid bird hunter, and he loved it for years. And when now we just coon hunt, but my mom loves it. I love it. And I sat there and I watched your videos. And I said, this guy loves it. He, I do. <laughs> he loves it. I mean, I can tell when, and I can see it. You can, you can see it when someone loves it. And, it, and as, as I'm talking, ladies and gentlemen, and as I'm talking to Robert here, I really want you to take time out of your day to go to Robert Ecker on Facebook and please watch some of his footage. It is absolutely stunning what he does with his dog. And, and it would be an honor to have you on my pro staff. And uh, we'll discuss some really cool de details when we get off that I can't say on yeah. air. <laughs> um, I'm excited. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it'd be an honor. <laughs> and our main goal is, is getting the youth involved. You know, let, let's do what we can and let's raise the youth power out here and let's get them in the woods. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And folks like you that are out there with an art. And like I said, off stream to you, I think what you do is an art. And uh, when you have an art like that and you can share it with the world like you are currently doing, that is a mentor, sir. That is someone that people need to look at and study and watch. I am time. I'm like, man, this guy, that's for real. You're for real. I, I, I love when we get out and have a, a good hunt and, uh, you know, get some great footage. I mean, that's, that excites me more than anything. Like, uh, um, you know, winning a trial or something. I'm just, I'm just as happy when I catch a, a woodcock over, you know, with the dog in the frame and, and, and the hunter shoots the bird. I'm like, wow, that's, that's, that's great. Well, and what <laughs> really catches me is I, I can see you having a good time. Yeah, that's important in life, man. When you're going out there and you're you're enjoying these hounds, and that's important to my pro staff. When I tell all my pro staffers, y'all go out there with a good attitude and have fun, win or lose. Yeah, you gotta yeah, love your you hounds. It, if you look at it like a job, uh, it becomes a job. If you you know if it, it's a passion. If I worked at you know Walmart or whatever um, and had time off, I'd be doing what I do every day. I'd be out there running dogs, hunting, training. So um, I'm very fortunate. So I, I try to treat it like that. Like, you know, there are a lot of stressful things, like, you know, when you're training and, you know, running a business and that. But I keep myself focused that, hey, wait a minute, you're getting paid to do this. So this little blip here, it's it's not that important. It's not. You got to move on and keep on going. Yeah. I want to do this. <laughs> Well, and I want you to keep on doing it because you're very special what you do. And you, you're very talented, sir. Very talented. Thanks. It's an honor to watch you. You're, you're, you and my mother are the only ones that think that. But thanks. Oh, well, and what's your mom's name? Grace. Grace. Well, tell Miss yeah. Grace, Jason Hunter, nice to meet you. <laughs> but I'm going to tell thanks. you something, folks. Robert yeah. Ecker, Midnight Kennels. Y'all go yeah. check him out. This man has some amazing footage of his bird dogs. Mr. Eck, thank you so much. I know I'm not supposed to call you Mr., but I'm sorry. It's the way I was raised. It, it was an honor to have you on. It really was. It was an honor. It was a big pleasure and, and a huge honor to be on your uh, show. So thank you very much for having us. Well, it dang sure means a lot to my community as well. I can promise you that. So we'll, uh, we'll sign off on that. Stay tuned, folks. We got a whole lot more coming from Hunter's Wheelhouse, and we got some monster announcements. Anything else you'd like to say, Mister Ecker? Uh, just, just thank you, and and keep up the great work. And I, I'm looking forward to hearing your big announcements. Absolutely. All right, my friend. We'll talk Take soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Hunter's Wheelhouse. We are excited to share that we have a community of over 7,500 followers just on Facebook, all within a span of seven months. We have some exhilarating announcements on the horizon that I promise will captivate your interest. To ensure you stay up to date, we kindly ask that you continue your support by liking, following, and sharing our updates. Stay connected for more exciting adventures. Thank you. I'm your host, Jason Wayne Hunter. Take care, and God bless.